Welcome to LED Talk with Pixel Flex, your monthly podcast where we discuss the technology and solutions helping transform spaces into immersive, dynamic digital marbles. Right, welcome to a brand new episode of LED Talk brought to you by Pixel Flex. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. My guest today is the Director of Operations for Pixel Flex, John Lewis. John, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Happy to be here, Tyler. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. You know, just uh, just another day in Dallas. How's Nashville today? Nashville is surprisingly warm, and I'm very uh, happy. It's been really wet and rainy and uh depressing so we'll take the sun and we'll take the take the warmth for you know the three days that we'll get it here <laughs> before it rains again so. right right man i'm from I'm... minnesota originally so this is better than the snow that's all over my hometown so it's all right i i can believe that actually i i'm a i'm a wimp when it comes to winter because i'm born and raised in texas and so uh i don't know about you but after living in a in a warmer climate i don't know that i could go back and, and live in minnesota you know or something like that well, I've lived in Texas a little bit, and so uh-huh. I can relate to your humidity issues. Um, but I will say the biggest problem with Minnesota is either it's too cold or the mosquitoes are carrying you away. So it, it's kind of one of those things where once you leave, you're like, why would people stay there? It's a great place to say you're from. No offense to my friends from Minnesota who are probably not listening to this. <laughs> well, we we hope that they listen to it because then, you know, that'd be, <laughs> that would be awesome. But uh, I, I, I do know They'll what you mean They'll be informed. About. They'll yes. be informed about, about the nerdy industry of LED. So. <laughs> well, speaking of LED, let's just kind of take a step back and look at the LED industry as a whole. It's currently valued at over $5 billion, with the Americas region crossing the $1 billion threshold back in 2017. And it really doesn't matter where you go or who you talk to in the pro-AV industry. LED is always a big topic. It's normally the main topic. So, uh, John, just to get us started, just in your time in the industry, which is uh, stretching about six years now, how have you really seen this market grow and expand over that time well it's super fun because it's a big race to the bottom and so everyone's trying to just get their technology up to the latest and greatest the things that you know when i first got into the industry uh all of the road all of the you know the tour production teams were you know deploying 20 mil 16 mil 10 mil which you know is very like we would call it now today pretty low res options are very low resolution they don't really work indoors they don't really work in boardrooms they don't work in retail and you've seen such an explosion of technology getting into these higher density pixel pitches that are becoming more stable more interesting the cost is coming down it's it's an exciting time to be an led because from day one when i got into it to today it's so drastically different in terms of what our options are and what solutions we can provide clients and and just just provide the industry in general it's a really fascinating uh, five, six years. I feel like I got into it into a really fun time where it was very like wild, wild west, like homegrown DIY when I first started, except for like the really big names. And now there's just, there's a level of quality that's starting to come to the table where um, as a consumer, it, it's very, it's, it's getting more and more exciting for sure. Absolutely. And you talked a lot about options there. And when it comes to uh, the options that people have when it comes to vendors for buying LED, I think that there are a lot of options and a lot of things for people to consider uh, when they go through that process. So today we're going to basically create a buyer's guide to LED uh, and really consider some of those factors. So, uh, John, in your mind, uh, what are some things that need to be considered before somebody makes a you know a, a purchase of LED? What are some of those big factors in your mind uh, that, that people need to at least consider before they make a purchase? 
this is such a rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's 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 maybe name those out, uh, but not go into in depth yet, and then we can we can kind of take a little offshoots off of this. So sure. yeah, let, let's just uh, name them first, and then we'll then we'll go down the list and kind of uh, suss out some of these. Yeah, sure. So number one is really just making sure you're specking in the right resolution for uh, for your build. So um, in the wild world of LED, um, pixel density pixel resolution is such a big important factor and really what it matters is it's, it's a triangulation of the screen size and how far away you are and what type of content you're putting on it so if you're just trying to put up some like you know church worship lyrics on a you know 16 foot wide screen the audience is 45 feet away you don't need to have a 1.5 resolution that's hitting 4k you just your eyes don't need to see that math at that viewing distance i always liken it to um, when you go to IMAX and you go to see a, you go to see a movie at IMAX, you don't really want to sit in the front row because it's kind of invading your peripheral vision. Well, LED does that when it's too large and like you're getting a big experience. You tend to step back and then you don't need that density. So that's kind of the triangulation of of how to properly determine what is a good fit. I recommend you know getting consultation and talking to people who do this every day just to get an idea of a good range because the price point is going to vary dramatically based on the pixel density so that's that'd be the very first thing you do on a very first phone call trying to determine a good solution for your environment let's say you're in a boardroom you really need to hit like 1920 1080 that's going to be a pretty high resolution depending on your sizing um there's just so many different nuances to this um so that would be just purely specking in led and when is it a good when is it a good fit um you know the next question that comes to mind is hey is you know should i try to look for um a U.S. vendor or a Chinese vendor, what makes sense there? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of options out there. Absin was a large Chinese vendor who made a big dent in the production world for years, uh, and there was a good reason for it. They just had a better price point um, for such a long time um, that people were willing to put up with, you know, a little bit lower quality because they could buy more. So, just to answer people's question, I'll, we get this a lot, you know. It's LED come from the U.S. and the answer is 97% of all LED componentry comes from China. With that being said, you talked about how big the industry is. That is a massive amount of quality differential across that board. So anyone that says that they, you know, are a U.S.-based company, they are a U.S.-based company, but they probably don't make their componentry here because just from from the facts and the, you know the stats of componentry coming from China. What they're mostly doing, and even what PixelFlex does, is we are a huge part of the design process. We're a huge part of the componentry process and ensuring that the quality is to the spec that is good for a U.S. consumer. Let's walk through that conversation maybe that you have with a, US, a USA consumer um, just about... Uh, kind of finding that sweet spot between you know uh, the overall quality but also cost considerations because people um, are obviously going to have budgets that they need to maintain but they also want the highest possible quality that they can get so how do you kind of walk through that conversation with uh, with somebody who's who's looking to make an LED purchase um, and, and really assess what their needs are uh, based on what they can do yeah sure so I think what I find is there's there's a kind of a disparity between like when you're when you're researching LED and you go look and all of a sudden you see a price point on Alibaba and it's a you know it's a particular product that you've been looking into and the price point looks too good to be true well it probably is because the componentry inside is the cheapest of the cheap mm-hmm. just to get a price point out there and that's a classic thing across all spectrum right so there is a quote unquote you get what you pay for when it comes to LED 
And I would say that componentry knowledge is such an important part that a consumer, it's tough to dive in because there's a language barrier. There, there are these issues like you'll reach out to companies and it'll be, you know, the next day because they're asleep when you're awake. And there's all of these intricacies to making sure that your componentry is to a quality that will directly match your price point. I can guarantee you if you went on, found a product on Alibaba, hit up the vendor, got a price point, and then went back again and asked for basically the entire gamut of high-end componentry all the way through the board, your price point would look completely different than that initial Alibaba thing. And I think that's the part that's tricky and what makes LED so difficult as a consumer to properly identify what's a good deal versus what's a good product. How do I fit into that landscape? Yeah, that's a really good point. And you also brought up something interesting, and that is just the time difference and language barriers and that sort of thing. That That is something that you have to consider if this is a product that you want to have for the long term. Because there's also uh, warranties and repairs and things like that that also tie in. That if you can't ever get a hold of somebody because of you know your schedules are off, that's just another you know thing that you need to at least think about before making that purchase. Right. And, and I was actually uh, just over in Shenzhen in October. And you know, doing my job, I, I talk to our vendors and our componentry people on a daily basis. Um, I'm either talking to them, you know, on like a, a voice chat or I'm, you know, messaging them or emailing them. And even going over there, uh, the last time I was reminded again of just how critical it is um, from a language barrier perspective. And super highly intelligent people that I talk to all the time. You know, one of one of my vendors is actually an English major. I think that's how he got, you know, his job at his company. Um, he's an English major. And just communicating, watching them grab about 50% of what we were talking about simply because of a language barrier, um, especially when you're talking about technical componentry, is is really intense if you're a consumer and you don't know the, the technology and don't know the componentry. So, that's one of the most interesting things that I've been learning is, is how do we as a company communicate properly so that there's enough time for the information to, uh, to be assimilated and, and properly executed. So the language barrier is actually, you know, it's, it's a constant reminder for me and my dealings and, and conversations is it's a really, really big deal. Even when you do know your componentry and you do know your product lines and you do know the parts and pieces you want. So the other thing is time zone. So let's talk about warranty and repair. You know, let's say you get an LED wall um, and you put it up and you, you know, you get it installed and you're starting to have some things that are maybe some wirings going goofy or some, you have some cold soldering, um, things like that. Well, when you do a warranty repair, communicating that and getting the gear, you know, if you have a US based company, that's a big benefit because you're spe- you can call them during normal business hours. You can have those conversations. Um, you know, and so it's when it, whoever you're choosing for your vendors, what you want to always understand is, do they have the ability to repair your LED that you purchase from them here in the States? Do they have the gear and the necessary repair tools or are they simply shipping it back to China? So that's a tricky thing you need to know when you're dealing with the U.S. vendor, too, is do do they actually do their own repair or are they just handling the shipping back and forth from China in an envelope? You know, there's just some of those really interesting things as you dive deeper into the chain of what do I want as an LED consumer? What is the, you know, there's a lot of DIY guys out there who are like, if I just get it in, buy enough spare parts and get up and running, I'm golden. Hey, kudos to you. That's, that's a great option for you. You know, but if you're a, if you're a, a fortune 500 company that needs to know you have the support level, those are some of those decisions you'll be facing. Yeah, and I think that there's an element of uh, maybe trust involved also because you're making a large investment, so you need to know that 
um, what you're getting is a you know is a reliable product. And you're right. If you are somebody that's a DIY person that uh, feels comfortable, you know, repairing different things or, or taking on that project by yourself, then uh, then maybe the cheaper option is the way to go, you know, or just the more cost-effective option. But if there is, uh, you know, if there is that trust factor there where you know that a company is going to be there for you for support when and if you need it, uh, I think that matters a lot to consumers. What's well, another interesting thing you bring out because the five-year warranty, the five-year extended warranty in LED is is really coming in vogue even in the last six months, everyone's kind of picking it up. You know, my response to that is it's twofold. And this isn't even on our script to talk about, but it's just something I'm running into daily right now. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to know is a five-year extended warranty, the vendors aren't offering that in their componentry level. So even at the componentry level in China, you're not getting a five-year warranty, you're getting a two-year warranty. So to come over to the US and say, we have a five-year extended warranty, you better know that that vendor that's claiming that has the ability to fix the gear on site, has the tools, because after the two-year period, that last three years, you're on your own. So number one, let's make sure that company's going to be in business in five years to handle my warranty. And then number two, let's make sure they have the componentry to actually repair it after they can't take it back to the factory level because it's not necessarily warrantied on the other side of the ocean. Hmm. That's really interesting. And uh, that, that kind of leads me to another question that I, that I have. Uh, kind of bouncing off of warranties uh, with, with all of you know, not all of but 97% of uh, the components being built in China is are there uh, compliance levels for the United States that uh, once these LED boards ne uh, are, are brought here or if they're put together here are there compliance levels uh, that they need to meet once they have been assembled sure so most of them will, will list a certificate um, you know whether it's CE UL ETL um, TAA compliant FCC. There's a lot of there's a lot of different things, and I think based on where you're building, depending on if you're in construction, there's some certain certificates based on the state that you're in that you'll need special levels. Or if you're working with like a military contract, you'll need certain certificates. So it is important, and and most of the vendors are aware of those things, and you know you'll know kind of what certificates are are going to be covered. And and you know I know speaking from my experience. You know, we'll have products that are more economy line that are really only hitting some of the more basic certs, you know, maybe a CE cert. And then there's other stuff where it's got to be like TAA compliance. So I can go into an airport. So it just, you know, there's different levels of product lines that will meet different needs depending on the economy. So um, I think it's important to maybe from a consumer to know what your needs are. I will say that ETL and UL are probably the most more expensive certif certifications. You'll pay more in general for your componentry. But it's a great certificate to have on on uh, on your gear when you're specking it. Absolutely. So, uh, for people that are are looking at making this decision, just kind of break down maybe the archetypal person who it makes sense for them to buy for a U.S. based company uh, or, or to uh, to purchase from a U.S. based vendor. Uh, when, when does that most often make sense for somebody? In like in, in what kind of scenarios? Sure. I really think it comes down to the the level of support and the trust levels that you're going to need. Mm -hmm. And it also depends on on how um, kind of people, people know like how nitpicky they are going to be in the buying process. I mean, we're talking about a very large purchasing decision for your company, um, for your church or, um, you know, it, and so it's a, it's a big investment. And so you just kind of know, am I a trustworthy guy? Do I just go with my gut? Or am I a person that really wants to know all the nitty gritty? So I think Depending on your answer, you might actually want to go U.S. both ways because you want to know you're going to have the support. You want to know that the gear that you're purchasing has been vetted.
embedded at a componentry level, you want to make sure that um, you can call someone when something goes wrong and you, you know your RMA is you know, going to have a faster turnaround time because you are in the U.S. It is getting repaired in the States. It's not going across the ocean. Um, and so I think all of those pieces kind of come together to help you say, you know what, I really don't want to take this risk. I don't really want to make, you know, figure out how, if this is coming by boat, if I have to import it, is it coming on an airplane? You know, like there's all of these details that um, make buying in the U.S. easier because all of that stuff is kind of handled for you that, you know, you're getting, a, you know, a product that this U.S. based company will stand behind because they've designed it from day one. So I think that's, you know, with how large our industry is in general across the world and how large it's growing in the U.S., I think those are really critical pieces that uh, will make a U.S. buyer really think twice about, man, should I just go direct to China? Hey, if, if you're, the, if you're the, on the other side of it, if you're the DIY who's just looking for, you know, they're willing to do that tough research, translate Google Translate things from Chinese to English, can dump, jump through all the hoops to try to make sure they have the componentry they need. And you're the guy that loves to just research and dig deep. I think there's definitely an option for you. There's some great, uh, there's some great companies out there that are doing really cool stuff, um, you know, where you won't have the support that you would from a U.S. company, but you will have support if you're willing to stay up till midnight and start that conversation at midnight, you know, till three in the morning to get that support that you need. So it, it's a fascinating industry when you really look at the time zones. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting older, John, so staying up till midnight is not quite the, the thing that it used to be. Uh, it's it's a little bit more difficult these days, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't know about you, but that, that's that's how I feel. And y you know what? You brought up something that I hadn't even considered, and that is uh, just the risk of transportation, um, and that being a factor that people should also consider is that if you're making that investment, uh, consider the transportation that's going to be involved for... Um, for that product, I think is something that uh, is maybe an underrated element of of this of all of this. Well, there's also that tricky little word called tariff, and it's the U.S. and Chinese relations. So mm. we won't deep dive into that subject today, um, but that needs to play into your conversation piece because um, all of that plays into the custom codes on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, it, it's it's a pretty fascinating deal when you dive into the uh, global uh, the global economics of of you know LED in the U.S. Um, is a fun is a fun little spectrum you can deep dive for hours and get into some rabbit holes on that too. Absolutely, and I, I think the, the the main idea maybe to come away with this from is just to uh, if you're looking to to make this purchase, do your homework on the company and uh, know the process from beginning to end, and ask hard questions of that company so that then you can make sure that you're making the best decision for what your needs are. Sure, I think that's perfect because you know the more knowledgeable questions you're asking. Um, the more enabled your, you know, your hopeful vendor is to to either come to the table and say, yes, we're doing this, or yes, that's a great point. We need to improve in that area. Because the cool part about LED is that there is still a little. I know I hinted at being the wild west when we started, but you know, there still is a little bit, little bit of that. Companies are are always improving. They're always improving their processes because um, we're all kind of growing together in this industry as as you know, kind of the LED explosion takes over as. Uh, you know, we're getting rid of TV arrays uh, from the 90s, and we're, we're trying to bring some really interesting seamless displays to the world. Um, but there's always, you know, there's always room for improvement in that. And I think every time a, a good client asks a tough question, 
um, you're going to get a really interesting answer. And so, you know, being armed with good questions, with good resources and just saying, hey, like, are you going to support me? What's the process? What does an RMA warranty process look like? That's a fun question to ask. You're either going to get blank stares or you're going to get a good detailed process. It's always super fun as a consumer. Like if I was to go out and shop LED today, it would be really fun to just ask some of those those tough questions and say, hey, like, what's the support level? Like, are you going to be able to support me for five years like you say you are? What does that look like? Those are good, good questions as a consumer to be armed with so that you can make good decisions because the day you may pay more, but now you know why you're paying more or you could be paying too much. Now you can get a deal because, hey, like, I know you're not going to support me, so I got to do it myself. I got to order more spare parts. I'm willing to do that but I need to order more spare parts on the front end. Like we can go into batch matching and that kind of stuff if you want to next. I'm not sure where you want to take the, take the podcast, but I'll let you, let you lead here. <laughs> well, uh, my, my, my follow-up to that was going to be just that, uh, that I'm sure that, uh, you know, a, a prospective customer that comes to you and has a lot of good question and has done their homework uh, does help you better understand what their needs are so that then you can provide a better solution, which then I think creates a better overall relationship. So it's valuable for people to ask those questions and to know that going in, just because then I think that that pr improves the relationship um, from both perspectives from day one so that you get the, the better solution that makes you know the, the customer happy and then that makes the vendor happy as well. Well, I think it's important, right? So you know, I think disqualifying a potential vendor is just as important to a consumer as finding the right solution. Um, I think with all of the options out there, you Google LED video wall and you can just scroll down the pages, um, you can get lost. And so if you just pick your top five and you go in with this little buyer's guide of these are some really important questions to me personally in my quest for, you know, my organization, you'll be able to knock it down to two, to two options, get two different quotes. And boom, you have yourself a, a really interesting couple of proposals where you're more armed to make quality decisions. And I think that's the toughest part about being an LED consumer is knowing enough to be dangerous so that you can get to the type of quality that you need, the type of support that you need, um, and, and fitting into some type of a budget that makes sense so that you're not like, well, forget it. I'll just buy a projector because it's easy. Right, right. Hey, I, I want to go back to what, what it was you just mentioned. Uh, what, what was that? And what did you, uh, did, was there something specific that you wanted to say about it? Yeah. So I kind of tongue in cheek talked about batch matching. So there's yeah. this classic, there's this classic idea where, well, LED is very expensive. So I'm going to buy like this little wall now, and then I'm going to, in six months, I'm going to add a little more. And then in a year, I'm going to add a little more. And that sounds super good in theory because LED is seamless and it's kind of like Lego blocks. It goes together and makes one larger piece of wall. So that sounds like a super, super great idea to a consumer. The only issue is, is that because of how sensitive our eyes are and how photo optic material is made, let's grab an analogy of like a Samsung 50 inch at Best Buy. You go into Samsung, you buy that 50 inch off the wall, you take it home, Six months, you decide, you know what, man, I really like that. I'm going to buy that for, you know, to put next to it to have double TVs up. You go back to that same Best Buy. You go grab that same 50-inch SKU. The SKU number is the same. Everything's identical. You take it home. You put it on your wall, and they don't look anything alike. It's because they're not made out of the same componentry at the componentry level, so they won't actually calibrate and match up. Plus, the one you've had has been used for six months. The one on the right has been, you know, is brand new. So, all of a sudden they don't look the same. You can't get the colors to match and they won't line up. Well, the same thing happens with LED. And so I was talking about batch matching. 
So batch matching is so important when you purchase because um, you kind of get, I like to say you get about two shots at it. You can purchase one wall and then you can get another wall maybe later. Um, ideally, they wouldn't touch because uh, if they do touch, you will most likely, even with uh, you know ones and zeros calibration, um, it's unlikely you'll get it to match exactly. So it looks like one perfect surface. Your blues will be slightly off or your reds or something like that. So talking about batch matching and how that helps a consumer or hurts a consumer, if they go into it knowing I kind of got one, one, maybe two shots at getting the total LED package that I want to get, even though they're Lego pieces and they go together seamlessly to make one larger wall, that's kind of the constraints of our industry right now. So depending on who you ask, depending on, uh, on calibration techniques, you can get very, very close. Um, I've seen some projects be highly successful. I've seen other projects be not quite as successful just because too much time has passed. It's, you know, a year and a half in between orders, things like that. So that's a fun little rabbit hole you can run down as well. <laughs> See, this is the kind of uh, knowledge and insight you get from uh, from John Lewis, and this is why he's uh, he's the expert on the podcast today because you know <laughs> you got to have answers to these questions, and this is a, this is important stuff to consider if you are planning on making a you know an investment into into LED. I think that that's uh, it's an important thing to consider for sure. Digital signage in general. I mean, TVs are the same way. I mean, my analogy stands. I mean, if you're going to do a TV array. You know, uh, as an AVO integrator, you usually will probably spec in an extra TV or two that's going to sit on the shelf until your client calls and says, hey, my TV's down or, you know, one of my six TVs is down. Come fix it. Well, if you can't fix it, and you have to put a, another TV off the shelf into play. That TV is not going to look the same because of the burn in on all the other TVs, even though they were made at the same time. So that's an interesting thing that happens, especially with like LCD TVs. LED does not suffer from that nearly as much. When you buy your spare parts on the front end, I always recommend this, buy, buy more spare parts than you think you need because that's the opportunity to get the batch match componentry. So because of the longevity of direct LED diodes, they're lasting, you know, the claims are 100,000 hours to half brightness. Because that extended period of time, they, you know, they age so much slower. And so you can take your componentry pieces and swap them out with very little nominal differences in in how they appear to each other so number one thing you can do as a consumer add this to your list is buy extra spare parts because at the time of purchase they are all batch matched at that moment and they will not age nearly the same as like an lcd monitor wow so that's fascinating all right the number one thing buy extra uh spare parts i think that's a really i think that's really yep. really wise advice yeah i would say no matter what you do if you buy it from a u.s company if you buy it from china if you buy it you know, really, really anywhere. If you buy it off Alibaba, just whatever your spare count is, just add like three to 5% just for your peace of mind in the long term. Because the reason why people want to buy LED is the longevity of the product. They want it to outlast its technology. You want to replace it because you want something better, not because it's out of date or, you know, it's not of use anymore. Um, and I think the spare parts thing is such a crucial piece of it that you should, as a consumer, no matter what your spare parts, you know, suggested is no matter what your warranty package is just get more for your own benefit like it, it's such a nominal cost of the overall product and it will pay off it will pay off so much over time right right absolutely that 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 makes a lot of sense to me and i think that that's that's really smart advice um do you have any other maybe uh, kind of just quick buyer tips that you would give to uh to a listener who might be thinking about uh, making a purchase like this any other uh last second kind of uh, tips or tricks that they need to be aware of or just uh or knowledge that they should be armed with before they make this purchase yeah, so this one comes to the top of my mind uh, because where a lot of people will see LED for the first time or really see it kind of impactful is either at a concert where they're not able to get close enough to see 
the individual pixels. So they're far enough away. So it's just massive screen, you know, and it's all of these pixels making this really clear, awesome image from 75 feet away. Um, or they're at a trade show and they're like really small LED walls from super close range. You're walking up to like within five feet of it, which is actually closer than they would like look at their TV at home sitting on the couch. So they have these expectations of, well, LED needs to look this phenomenal from three feet. Well, you're not going to go home and put your nose on, on, on your 70 inch TV and expect it to look beautiful. It's just, it's going to invade your peripheral. So it's this really interesting gap of LED technology that people can't quite get their hands on is at a trade show it's not big enough i'm too close or i'm at a concert and it's so big but i'm so far away well as an example if you're at the rock concert it's probably only like a nine mil or a seven mil which if you saw that at a trade show up close and personal you wouldn't even be able to like read letters or see like hardly see faces uh, if it's a really small wall but when it's 75 100 feet wide it looks ridiculous like the cowboy stadium i think is like a 20 mil or something like that maybe maybe even 40 mil it's very like low res when you're up close to it but because you know it's dallas cowboys everything's larger than life it looks massive and beautiful in hd because you're hundreds of feet away so that's the tricky thing i think as a consumer it's so hard to know what do i actually need from a resolution that standpoint so what i would do in your process if you have the budget if you have the opportunity to do this like go to a showroom uh, of a vendor, like go, you know, try to go to a concert that's like maybe a more intimate concert that has LED at it. So you can get up closer and really see the technology, you know, maybe in actually like in a 16 foot wide, nine foot tall build or like a 12 by seven, just some different sizes where you can actually see how would this LED look, you know, in this environment. Um, and most, most vendors that have showrooms will have more, you know, different pixel pitch offerings. So you can kind of see those ranges and help you make an informed decision because it is a subjective topic is well what you know what pixel density do i need and so if you're in a trade show booth it's a little baby you know display well guess what you're going to definitely think you need 1.0 millimeter and you're going to pay five hundred thousand dollars for an led wall right and you didn't need it you could have got away with you know a two and a half mil that cost a quarter of that price so it, it's a fascinating topic um don't quote me on those numbers. I have no idea, <laughs> you know, exactly how, how that'll all work out. But it's a fascinating topic that as a consumer, that's the other level that you can do is don't always believe everything you're seeing at a trade show. Try to find the largest LED wall at that trade show you can find and start there and work your way backwards to the smaller displays. That's really, really good advice. And I think that that's um, an awesome place just to wrap up our buyer's guide for LED on this week's episode of LED Talk brought to you by PixelFlex. John Lewis, thank you so much for joining us and for uh, sharing that insight and that wisdom when it comes to uh, how to go about making those purchases, just because it, it's different for everybody. So uh, it's good to have just that knowledge and that base level of understanding of the industry uh, that you provided today. So uh, we really appreciate it, John. Uh, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tyler. I appreciate it. We'll probably be doing this again sometime soon. I'm looking forward to it. Have a good day.